we are going to be continuing our series from Colossians. So I am going to read from Colossians 1, and you're welcome to join me. And we'll start at verse 15, and we will go to the end of the chapter. I've, <laughs> I've read this about like 10 times this week, and I still can't quite remember where things start and end. So we'll just go with the... All makes sense. So Colossians 1, starting with verse 16, 15, says this, He, that is Jesus, to be clear, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you are alienated from God and you are enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Let's, let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the continuing revelation of who you are, and I pray that my words this morning help reveal even more. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, <laughs> yeah, hello again, 
and welcome to Wellspring and thank you for taking time out of your morning to join us or if you are my mum or Kevin's mum in England, thank you for taking time out of your afternoon or if you're catching this later on in the week, thank you for taking time out of your evening or your night whenever you're catching up. Um, we're really pleased that you have joined us and, and I consider it a real privilege uh, that people carve time out of their weeks to, to spend time with us. Uh, my name is James, for those of you that don't know. Uh, I'm the pastor of Wellspring. I was, I was recently on a podcast, it's no big deal, but I was recently on a podcast and I was introduced as the senior pastor of Wellspring, and Caitlin was like, who are you the senior pastor of? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but there's no one above me. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, there are, of course, lots of people above me. Uh, but one of the wonderful things about Wellspring is just how involved so many of this community is in all aspects of the community. Uh, there are so many people doing kingdom work here and doing life in a way that I think honors and reveals who Jesus is. And we're going through our series on Colossians for the next few weeks. And last week, Sarah, who was also amazing on violin, gave an absolutely incredible sermon. And again, one of the other wonderful and exciting things about Wellspring to me is how many gifted teachers and preachers we have in our congregation. And I'm, I'm so thankful for being able to learn from people with different perspectives and, and different life experiences from me. All of those voices help give us a greater understanding of who God is. They reveal Jesus more and more. What was interesting to me is, yeah, Sarah talked about the accessibility of this letter, like how all the people listening to it, it would have been very clear and plain. And I've got to be honest, when I read this letter, I'm like, I don't know, know what is going on here. I spent hours reading, like those 15 verses, hours reading this week. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm only going to be speaking on like one line because there is so much richness there. We could spend a year in Colossians uh, if we wanted to. Uh, but she said that at the time, Paul is using language that's actually quite simple, it's quite contextual, and the people reading it would have got it right away. Of course, we, we want our words to be understood, and we want our revelations of Jesus to be accessible so that people can know Jesus better. Uh, Sarah talked about the subversive nature of the letter and how the kingdom of God as a whole and that our priorities will look different to how people might expect it to, that our priorities might look different to uh, what many in the world think should be important to us. She said that we're, we're called to imagine something better, uh, that God's promise is that there is more than enough. There's more than enough so long as we're, we're willing to share. And as I say, that's a really tough message to follow because I think Sarah nailed it. <laughs> what am I going to add to that? Uh, and so I'm going to share something that I think is a little bit sermony, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the year ahead at Wellspring, the things that I think we have to look forward to as a congregation. Uh, and I think <laughs> it feels really audacious to talk about the year ahead. <laughs> Because no one has any idea what that's going to look like. And I mean, my visa runs out in six months' time. So uh, hopefully me and 
Jesus and some others can partner to make sure I can stick around here a little bit longer because I really like being here. But there's something to be said about focusing on the year ahead whilst also thinking about Jesus in the day by day by day. I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. I think you actually need one for the other. We want that big picture. We want those little pieces too. And at the start of the year, I try to have like a theme for the year. And like I couldn't, I know Welcome Home was like one of our themes and I can't remember if it was last year or the year before because the last few years have just collapsed into one another for me as I'm sure they have so many of us. Uh, but having a theme is a nice thing to do. It's useful for guest speakers to like have a little thread to tug on. And despite my best efforts, I was having uh, quite a hard time hearing from God on that. So if you are having a little bit of a hard time hearing from God right now, that is okay. I don't think you're alone. And the pastor of Wellspring Worship Center uh, spends a lot of time there too. Um, so, so I kind of like stumbled, uh, or, or maybe God is just really gracious with me. God is quite gracious quite a lot of the time. Uh, and I was kind of shown that I was trying way too hard. Uh, it comes up a little bit later in Colossians, uh, but one of the things that Paul is worried about is people getting distracted from who Jesus is. That fancy arguments, that catchy slogans uh, can get in the way. And that's kind of what I was doing too. I was like, ooh, let's think of a, a catchy slogan. Let's think of what would look good on a banner or a poster or, or our Instagram page or a t-shirt. And, and Paul kind of warns people about this. He's like, don't get distracted by the fancy arguments and the, and the shiny t-shirts. All you need to do, all you need to do, says Paul, is keep Christ at the center. And, uh, and so that, that's it. <laughs> that's what we're going to do. That's our theme. That's what we're going to roll with. We're going to keep Christ at the center. And so you'll be hearing that a lot. And I guess on the face of it, it sounds kind of obvious. It's like, right, it's a church that's keeping Christ at the center. Like, you're not really uh, blowing our mind here. Uh, it's kind of like Tim Hortons keeping coffee at the center or something. Uh, but then I thought about this analogy further, and I was like, ah, one of the reasons that people don't like Tim Hortons right now is because their coffee got kind of bad. They got focused on doing donuts with weird Oreo frosting and breakfast wraps at 10 at night, and now their coffee isn't so great. And, and ironically, if they kept coffee at the center, uh, Tim Hortons might be better. And if we keep Christ at the center, I'm certain that our community, our relationships, our lives as individuals will be better too. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that. And, and I will say this is actually a bit more contentious uh, than you might think as well. Uh, when I was hired by Wellspring a little under three years ago, uh, we had some conversations with the denomination about uh, where my theology didn't necessarily align completely with the denominations, which is okay because uh, lots of people have disagreements over these minor uh, issues all the time. Uh, but the denomination did have this one document called Christ at the Center. And I was like, hey, that's a document I can sign off on. Like, <laughs> that seems like a good idea. Uh, can I just sign off on Christ being at the center and, and we can kind of move on with this thing? Uh, but I was 
documents. Long story short, I was informed uh, that the Christ at the center document wasn't a central document. <laughs> and so, no, signing off on Christ being at the center wouldn't be enough. Um, <laughs> And I don't need to go on about this for too long. And, and the good news is that the denomination do now recognize that Christ at the center document as a central document. So we agree on more than we thought we did. But I was like, probably should be a central document, guys. Like, <laughs> if you're fighting to not have your Christ at the center document be at the center, that's going to be a problem. But maybe this story does illustrate a little bit uh, how quickly we can take our eyes off what should be so obvious. It shows kind of how messy things get. It shows how we can get lost in argument when we're not willing to keep Christ at the center. To be clear, this is this is Paul's concern uh, all the way through this letter. Uh, it's really explicit in chapter one, and as I say, there's some rich and heavy theology, and I'm going to dig a bit more into some of those pieces next week. Uh, the idea of, of God dwelling in Jesus and, and that reconciliation uh, that pleases God so much, because it's Daniel's at the back. That's like our favorite verse. That's like a verse we've bonded over a lot. Uh, so I'm going to spend more time on that next week. But there's so much richness in all of that. But but at the core of it, it's Paul who wrote this letter to the Colossians, is desperate for people to keep Christ at the center. And, and to remember, actually, that Christ is at the center. Um, I, this one, verse 27, has been really like stuck in my, my mind this week. That's what I, my attention keeps getting drawn to. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the couple of verses before it as well. So I'll read from uh, 25 to 27. Which says this, uh, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we see this word mystery, which uh, may for you evoke images of like mystery novels, uh, where a clever, clever detective with a monocle uh, works out the, the secret of everything dramatically at the end of the third act. Uh, but 2,000 years ago, this word is a bit more loaded, actually. Uh, and it refers to something that in time God will reveal. So it's not something for smart people to work out, but rather something that God in time will reveal. And, and I think this, it's really fascinating that this language is used. And, and all the way through the Old Testament, uh, there is lots of God 
being revealed. We see God's heart revealed. We see God's desire revealed. We see God's emotion revealed. And actually, they all kind of point to this mystery, but it's not made explicit until Christ makes it really explicit. And that mystery that has been revealed in Jesus Christ is that God's love goes so much further than they could have realized. The mystery revealed is that God's love, God's truth, God's parenthood wasn't just for that small group of chosen people, but it was for everyone, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, not just that small group, but for everyone. That Christ is in you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Like that is the mystery revealed. That is the hope of glory. Um, and to explain that that glory word a little bit more, because I've been on this this week. Uh, when we see the language of glory in the Old Testament, it can actually refer to human beings being image bearers of God. That glory is often a kind of God's presence word, but is also referred to humans bearing God's image. Uh, but when God's people are unfaithful, which they quite often are, uh, they exchange that glory or they neglect that glory. They reject their own image bearing. And, and when that happens, the hope of glory fades. Uh, just some verses where uh, people lose their way and the hope of glory is lost. Uh, Psalm 106 says, uh, they exchange their glorious God, that glory, for the image of a bull which eats grass. Uh, in Hosea, it says, the priests were, there. the more priests there were, the more they sinned against me, and they exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. Uh, the beginning of Jeremiah 2 says, has a nation ever changed its gods? <laughs> Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. So for a long time, that hope of glory is removed or alienated because people push it away. But Jesus being who Jesus is, Christ being in you and Christ being in me and Christ being in everyone, not just the Jews but the Gentiles too, Christ being at the center of all of us is the hope of that glory restored. That mystery once hidden now revealed is that all humans, Jew and Gentile, and <laughs> every person, <laughs> and man and woman, and every gender, and young, old, and every age, they all bear the image of God because Christ is in them. And, and some folks may have a very hard time believing this. And, and for some, understanding that mystery that has been revealed can be really hard. And that might be because no one's ever really told them that. Or it might be because, sadly, people that call themselves Christians have forgotten to put Christ at the center too. 
and they haven't quite seen that hope of glory in others, and maybe they've hidden or disguised that glory in themselves with cruelty or greed or selfishness. But we as individuals and we as family and we as a community have the privilege of sharing that truth that all are loved and all are created to love, that the hope of glory resides within all of them as well as within all of us, that we get to love them as we would love Jesus, remembering that Christ is all and Christ is in all. That's Colossians 3, that's coming up later. The mystery reveal is that God's love is so much more expansive than we could have dreamed. That God's arm is not too short to save. It's an arm that reaches into the pits of hell and drags his children out. And it finds the hope of glory restored. That Christ is at the center of all. All right, <laughs> so that's the theology piece out of the way. <laughs> For the theology nerds, i got to get it in there. Um, but what does this mean for us practically, I suppose? What does it mean for us as an individual? What does that mean for us as a church? <laughs> and, and first of all, I, I hope we don't see those things as mutually exclusive. Uh, my church life has quite heavy implications for my personal life and vice versa. Uh, I do like to think that I take Jesus and church and community quite seriously outside the 40 hours a week for which I'm financially compensated, and I realize I'm one of the very few who is. But with this mystery revealed, that Christ is in you and in all of those around you, how does that shape your days or your weeks? Christ being in you means that getting to know him better through prayer, through study, through community, through conversation. Well, getting to know him better means you get to know yourself better too. And that can only be a good thing. You get to know the person that he created you to be, is partnering with you to be. Knowing that Christ is in you can lead you to do the sorts of things that Jesus would do. Like, where do we think we'd find Jesus on a cold winter's morning like this? Or at the end of an exhausting week? Uh, to, to be clear, there isn't one set answer here, because uh, sometimes we find Jesus amongst the bustling crowds, and, and sometimes we find Jesus with the, the most hopeless or the most broken or the most rejected, and or sometimes we find Jesus having a relaxed meal with his friends, and sometimes we find Jesus alone in prayer. It's, I was going to say it's quite likely because I like to soften language, but it's just obviously empirically true <laughs> that we need all of those things because <laughs> Jesus does all of those things, so we need those things too. So, so what are some of the habits that we need to start? Like, it's the start of the new year, and people have new years resolutions, and it's the 16th, so I don't know how many have been broken by now. 
but it's, it's never too late to start. But what are some of those habits that you can do to get to know Jesus and, by extension, yourself even better? I mean, as I say, I hope it would go without saying that we as a church want to keep Christ at the center. Uh, but, but what are some of the ways that we as a church can show the rest of the world? That's something that we take seriously. Uh, Wellspring, <laughs> that was Banfield, that was something else, that was uh, Bethel, I think, first of all, um, or maybe in Spadina, something. Uh, is is entering its 125th year as a church this year, which is really impressive. Like there are not many old things in Canada, <laughs> but what does it look like for us to prepare for the next 125? I I, I wasn't there for those those meetings 125 years ago, um, but my hope is that. It wasn't a group of people talking about legacy and talking about being proud of this incredible thing they've started, but instead saying, what is it that Jesus needs us to do right now in this moment? Uh, Because when people have that mindset, really exciting things happen. And what Jesus needs right now will look different to how it did 125 years ago. That's okay. But how can we, as a community, be sensitive to that and, and, and hold the leaders accountable? <laughs> hold me accountable. We have deacons. We have elders. We have a pastor. But we need all of your voices for that. What do we think it is that Jesus wants us as a community to do now in this moment? I, I know that That mindset and thinking of the next 125 years feels crazy because the next 125 days seem hard enough. And I don't know if humanity will be here in 125 years' time. I just don't know if there will be any clean water by then. But but how do we build on the legacy of, of people whose faithful prayers still echo in this building and echo in this community, echo in this church family. I, one thing I'm excited, I'm gone way over time. One thing I'm really excited about, uh, we as a community uh, have taken God's very early command to care for the earth quite seriously. Uh, and that really excites me. Now there's more to do, but you know, we have a community garden and we have bees pollinating it. I think that's really cool. But, but what can we do uh, more to show God, to show the world, to remind ourselves that we take that command from God really seriously. Um, I, I want to share this with you where I swear I'm nearly done. Um, some of you might not know, we have a legacy fund. And the legacy fund is that a few years ago, uh, an incredibly dedicated congregant uh, passed away and left quite a substantial sum of money to the church. And the church decided what they wanted to do was set that money aside, uh, specifically that it will be ring-fenced for congregants with specific uh, like missionary ideas or outward-facing ideas or kingdom ideas in mind. Uh, so, like for example, that's what we used for the 
bees. Uh, we were going to use it for the community garden, but then we got some funding, which is great. But has God put something on your heart? Has God put something on your mind? Uh, some kingdom work, some Christ at the center work that that funding could be used for? Because you know, we love getting applications for that kind of thing. And, and uh, no, I, I hope it shows that we as a church, we're, we're dedicated to those things and we're excited by what this community has had put on their hearts by God. <laughs> and I say these things and I recognize the kind of insanity of it because it's really hard to be excited about anything right now. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try and be your cheerleader throughout this. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not pretending that life isn't incredibly hard and, and there aren't some folks who I care about a lot who are, who are going through more than, than maybe I could bear, actually. But, but I really believe, I really believe that God has some brilliant plans for this community. And I think so long as we're keeping Christ at the center, well, why wouldn't they? <laughs> so yeah, there, there we go. There's, there's my word. There's my encouragement. Think and pray about what it means for us as individuals and us as a community to keep Christ at the center. That others can, can look at us and see that hope of glory, can see God's presence so obviously dwelling. I think hope is is one of the greatest acts of protest right now. And peacemaking is one of the greatest acts of protest and, and subversion. So like, let, let's do that. Let's, let's be a place where those fruits of the Spirit grow, where Christ is kept at the center, and let's remember that, that God is doing some really exciting things. Let's pray. Our Lord, I thank you that that hope of glory resides in us. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, and whatever has been done to us, that you are at the center of all of us. We pray that we see that in ourselves and we pray that we see it in others. And Lord, we pray that you guide us, help us, encourage us to know you better so that we can know ourselves better, so that we can reveal you better and share you better. Lord, we pray for this congregation going into the year a year of so many unknowns, but one thing we do know is that you are present and that you love us, and we thank you so, so much for that. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.